Two sisters lived on separate sides of the states. One in NYC and the other LA. They both moved to Chicago and decided to stay. Now here's their playful podcast packed with Kid Lit Parlay. Children's books. Are they really that great? Talking children's books is with Kate and Fuse 8. Children's books. Why, what, and how? Fuse 8 and Kate will break it down for you now. Betsy, I have the best news. Oh, great. Awesome. Great. What? Are you ready for this? I'm ready for this. I think it's July 15th. It's either the 15th or the 17th. Home Depot is coming out with all their Halloween stuff, baby. What? Yeah. Summer skeletons? July is the time for Halloween. That's when all the stores put out their Halloween stuff because the next holiday, Labor Day, but Halloween is the big moneymaker. Wait. In yeah. July? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I've heard of Christmas in July because it's redunculous. Right. Well. I've never heard of Halloween in July. That's when all the stores put out their good stuff. That seems like a really bad idea. Sounds like an amazing idea. Uh, I guess for Halloween obsessed people, sure. Yeah. Huh. Very interesting. So, so can- you will you be like lining up at the front of the door? No, today? I already got my 12 foot tall skeleton. Yeah. Are you going to get him a mate? I thought about a it. A lady? We have Hank and Hankette. Hank. <laughs> Hank Arena. <laughs> no, Hank. no, no, Betsy. No, yeah. no, no. <laughs> don't even. And the no, bag of it no. makes it ladylike. I think one is fine. I don't want to have like an entire yard. You don't yard want to be that lady. Like, yeah. you, don't, you don't want to be like the lady who has like all the pink flamingos. You don't want to have just a yard of like incredibly <laughs> tall <laughs> skeletons in your yard. Like, I keep not wanting to buy them, but then they just show up in the yard. Like people Can you just imagine start just leaving like, theirs like, in your yard? Like a dozen 12 foot tall skeletons in our front yard. That would be the ultimate prank. That would be so amazing. It would be like what uh, Calvin and Hobbes does with the snowmen yeah you know like you just create an army of and skeletons. we could like set up scenes for them you know Ooh, it could be like the colossus at Rhodes, and you can just like have them straddle your street and they, cars they could be playing croquet legs. oh yes i love it. or no they wouldn't i guess they're not big enough to like straddle the street but you could have like one lean over the street halfway and the other <laughs> one like they like, put their little hands up like it's yeah. like yeah anyway i think this plan is without flaw thank you marvelous <laughs> and you know what else is without flaw this podcast yeah right what what, what is uh what is this podcast about here oh uh, we talk about halloween decorations occasionally yeah, yeah it, that does happen yep. uh, even in july mm-hmm. inexplicably yep and what else do we talk about oh uh children's picture books yes and and the weather uh and if they're good or not oh <laughs> right so i thought i had a brilliant idea for a book this week and then found out that it came out in 2003 which means it's not 20 years old. One year off. But that's okay. That's okay. I found a good replacement. I found a nice, good, meaningful book. Sorry. We had, we had to go meaningful this week. I know. I know. Boring. I, I, thought, I thought about some others a little goofier, but I thought, you know what? We've been doing a lot of goofy lately. It's time to turn this ship around. Move towards the serious shores. Great. Are you ready? No. Oh, yeah, you are. No. Love you forever. Oh, oh no. Oh, God. <laughs> I almost dropped the book when I heard you say that. Like, did I get that by accident? I, no, I did not. No. Okay, let's try it again. All right. It's Grand- Grandfather's Journey by 
Alan Say. Yes, Grandfather's Journey by Alan Say. I don't want to give anything away, but there is a grandfather in this book. And, 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 and he goes somewhere. One might even call it a journey. A journey. Yeah. Yes. Okay. It's the 20th edition. It is, so we know it's old enough. Yep. <laughs> and, uh, and it's got and a. And didn't come out this year. Got a gold sticker on it. Got the, front. the gold Cattle Cat sticker on it. So go read that Cattle Cat winner. All right. All right. While Kate does her read, let's get a little background information on Grandfather's Journey. So according to Anita Silvey's 100 Best Books for Children, the pictures in this book came first, and the text, that came second. And getting it to publication was not easy. Quote, reproducing that art and keeping the colors clean and pure proved extremely difficult. The publisher rejected three attempts to print the book. Finally, Walter Lorraine, the editor, Donna McCarthy, the production manager, and Say decided on an innovative but effective production technique that helped capture the vibrancy of the colors, unquote. Now, I fear that um, when this book actually appeared on my 2012 Top 100 Picture Books of All Time poll, uh, it actually came in at number 46, um, it came out, that poll sort of came out at the same time as his 2012 illustrated memoir, Drawing from Memory. It is not well remembered today, but I would encourage you to seek it out. It sort of came out around the time of Hugo Cabret and the arrival when folks were willing to take chances with illustrations and books, but it was also sort of an innovative autobiography with a lot of art. I feel if it came out today, it would be a huge hit. Uh, it's kind of a pity. In a way, it came out a little early. Did you go on a journey? I did. I went back and forth and Across back the and sea. forth and back and mm. forth. This is the most indecisive person <laughs> I have ever met. And then he has kids who have kids who are also indecisive. This is just an indecisive is family. It, is it indecisive or is it adventurous? Um, indecisive. When you go back and forth between two places. Right. Constantly. Well, maybe you love them both, Kate. Well, maybe they you sh- love them both. They sure do, Betsy. Yeah, yeah. they do. So, uh, so what's 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 you looking at there? Well, so even before you get to the story, there's an introduction. I think that's new. I think they added that to the 20th anniversary edition. That makes sense. Yeah. Because he talks about it has been 20 years since the book. <laughs> <laughs> so that that would have been awful if he had put that in with the first publication. People were like, uh. Honey, it's it's just coming out now. It's it, it hasn't been twenty years. It's just it's just like how he came up with the story and sure gave it to his agent and then they put it <laughs> together. Does it actually say that? Like uh, I came up with an idea, gave it my agent, we made a book. Pretty much. All right. Well, there you go. Well, That's, I don't know that this, it really. I think it was a homework assignment. Someone was <laughs> like, "Uh, can you write an author's note at the beginning?" And be like, "Well, what am I supposed to say?" Well, you. Know, Say how you came up with the idea. Like, how did this book come to be? I mean, he puts, right. he puts a little more color to it, but I'm giving you the gist. I have never personally met him, but I have friends who have met Alan Say, and apparently he is just a very straightforward, sometimes grumpy guy. So oh. this all kind of fits in with what I know about him. So okay. There you go. Yeah. Well, uh, we're introduced to his grandfather, and it's his grandfather's story. Mm-hmm. of He left Japan uh, and Are went... Do have a year on this, though? No year. No, no year. So, so not nonfiction then. Yeah. It's but it, it you eventually kind of figure out the year when the grandson 
uh, is about, I don't know, five or six, and it's World War II. So, oh, oh, so, wow, okay, yeah. So you so kind of have to do the math backwards. Yeah, and well, I, it's a sepia-toned photograph, too, on the left, so... Yeah, I think when he came over to the U.S., it was, like, the early 1900s-ish. Right. Yeah. He came from Japan. He came okay, from Japan. Okay, so Japan had opened up to the West at this point. Okay. Yeah, so he wore European clothes for the first time and jumped on a steamship and was on a boat for three weeks. Oh, boy, that sounds bad. And eventually hit the U.S. Uh, or it says North America. Sure. Uh, and then he goes and looks at North America by train and by riverboat. It's and a very pretty train, by the way. All of these illustrations are gorgeous. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're really, really nice. There's a very clear reason as to why it won the gold. Yeah, yeah. It's well, they look shown like on page after page. After page. <laughs> it's it's just, like, that's a gold winner. Look at what I that, can do. That's a gold winner. That's a gold winner. <laughs> that's a gold winner. Yeah, okay, we got it. You're just showing off at this point. Yeah, we Let some of the other illustrators have a chance. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so he he's, you know, going all over the U.S. He's looking at the the deserts with the giant mountains and he's looking at the fields at which point when he's in the (laughs) i mean come on that's what you're thinking when you see no actually when he's standing in the field i thought oh it's like peaky blinders he just needs the arm garter that's what's peaky blinders really the netflix show i have never seen peaky Blinders. british i don't know it okay i don't know it well i'll trust you on it all right well i've heard the term the last book that we did with the fox and the yeah the arm the, garters yeah with the cane and the yeah. vest and that's like the, the oh yeah the, the time it's got a similar look there yeah. yeah it's also got a little bit of a Christina's World thing going on there but sure yeah mm-hmm. what's Christina's World yes yeah, so there's a Warhol painting not Warhol people are gonna kill me now <laughs> it's a famous painting about the you know the woman in the in the field reaching out to the house and like it's like her legs are broken or something all right never mind okay so next uh, he's looking at these huge factories and tall buildings he's marveling oh, at the i love that hunched picture of him with the his face in darkness and the you know, i imagine in the, he's in pittsburgh he here yeah it and looks then, like pittsburgh yeah and then he goes back uh to the west where he's marveling at towering mountains and rivers as clear as the sky and i'm like there are mountains and rivers and tall buildings in japan why is he marveling at all of this? Just because it's in a well, different, different country? different kinds of mountains, though, right? Not every mountain looks the same. I guess. I don't know. Someone else's mountain's going to look a lot more impressive than the mountain you grew up with. I, I'm just thinking. All right. And then we get to the line that I really didn't like oh, reading. interesting. I don't like reading this. Um, well, okay. It says he met many people along the way. He shook hands with black men and white men. With yellow men and red men. Oh, wow. Don't like that. No, I don't like that, that particularly like that either. His book came out in 1993, I want to say, when apparently that was still a thing that was okay to say in a kid's book. And, and the it, anniversary editions don't feel like adjusting that? Well, they didn't when it was, let's see, if it was 20 year, this is the 20 year anniversary edition, right? Yeah. So this would have come out in what, 2014? Yeah, you would have thought. Yeah. You would have thought. I bet you anything today would be of an issue. Yeah. I would hope so. Yeah. Because I didn't like reading it, but then I also didn't like reading, oh, he shook the hands with a lot of men. Did he not meet any women? 
Well, possibly not. I mean, if we're talking about an era when he would have been working with other men and they would have oh, kept... Oh, he doesn't... There's no mention there's no of women work. In... There's no mention of Oh, there's of no work. mention of work in this book. He's, he's just, doing something. He's, he's just going... traveling. Huh. He's well, just... He's... Surely he's doing work along these ways. There's no way because That's he's... kind of weird that he's not mentioned any work. No. Usually with these stories, it's like, and then he worked on the railroads, and then he worked in the shops, and then he worked and tried to find some gold, and... Nope. He's just traveling all over the world, jumping from a train to a boat to a walking... Is he independently to a... wealthy? Yes. I think so. Maybe. Uh, so he really likes California, but he decides that after a time he's going to go back to Japan and marry his childhood sweetheart, and then he brings her to the U.S. What a lucky gal. Which I'm like, did she have a say I sure hope she got, she knew what she was getting into there, yeah. I sure hope so, too. It's like, fun story, we're going to America. You've never been. it's full of racism, so Uh, let's have fun with that. You've never been. I don't know if you speak English. Yeah. We'll figure it out. Yeah. We'll just work it out. And It'll they, work out, right? And they moved to San Francisco. I hope, he, they, I hope she found a nice community of other expatriates and had lots of friends. And anyway. I would hope so. But they end up having a daughter. Uh, so she's now being raised from the beginning in the U.S. Okay. Keep that in American mind. American born. Gotcha. Right. Okay. Right. Well, you'd flip the page and like 20 years has passed. Oh, jeez. He got old fast. Okay. Hi. Yep. Yeah. Um, he likes uh, surrounding himself with songbirds. Cool. But he can't stop thinking about Japan. Yeah, so he takes his wife and his now grown daughter sure. back to Japan. To visit or to live? To live, Betsy. To live. I mean, if the daughter's 20 years old... Hopefully, she had a say in the matter and said, could have said, like, yeah, you know what, I'm good here. I'm going to stay here. But maybe... Probably not. Maybe not. I mean, in a there's also no of... indication as whether that they visited before or if she learned the language herself. I mean, I'm thinking this is the 1930s. So wow. I don't think she probably had a lot of say. But I'm just thinking, like, this guy wants the best of both worlds. He misses home, so he goes back and he gets married. Then he misses traveling, so then they move to the U.S. Yeah. Then he misses the mountains and rivers of his home and wants to go back. Like He's, he's living between two worlds. He sure is. Yeah. So he takes his wife and daughter and moves back to Japan. Ooh. Except his daughter, uh, you know, who grew up in San Francisco, sure. she is not familiar with like the customs of the small village and what right, to do. Yeah. And so the grandfather buys a house in a large city nearby. Okay. Okay. I don't know if it's if he bought a house just for her or if he bought a house and they all moved there, it, that's not clear. Okay. A house was purchased. That is all that we know. Right. <laughs> okay. But, you know, good for the daughter. She gets uprooted and taken to live in a new country with completely different customs away mm-hmm. from her friends. And mm-hmm. she makes the best of it because she meets a young man. They fall in love, get married, and then they have a kid. Okay. So, so now they're living in Japan. Okay. Yes. Cool. So they're in Japan. Right, we're in Japan now. And now... Her son, who mm-hmm. is the author, illustrator. Oh, that's Alan Zay. Yes. Oh, wow. And yeah, and who apparently, I'm just going to throw this random fact in there, ran into a fellow children's book author. Was it Catherine Patterson when they were both small children? No, yeah, something like that. Anyway, strange random fact. Or no, was it Lois Lowry? Anyway. Anyway. So he's in Japan, and he always hears lots of stories from his grandfather about California. 
And, uh, you know, his grandfather never forgets the mountains and the rivers of California. So he plans a trip. Except then World War II happens. And that trip... Don't get, you hate it when that happens? It gets canceled. I'm, yeah. I'm assuming they're talking about World War II. No, oh, the timing would work out, yeah. That's my guess. Yeah. Just judging by the... I'm sort of what the kid is wearing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't know. It's just, it, I'm, it it's, could... it's, it, the timing seems to work out. Right. Yeah. That's what I'm thinking. So the war ends. Ugh. There's nothing left of the city and the house. Oh, it says, and the house where my grandparents have had lived. So mm. I, I don't know again, if that was the house that they bought for the daughter. I don't know. Unclear. Anyway. So they return to the small village uh, but the grandfather kept on wanting to visit California one more time. <laughs> okay, good. didn't he say he wanted to live in Japan one more time? I see what you mean. He he is kind of like a one more time. I want to see Japan. One more time. I right. Go back to California. <laughs> one more time. Let's go see that Japan again. Yeah. But it says he never did. Oh, I know. Heartbreaker. That is, that's not good. And then it says, uh, and then when I was nearly grown, I left home. And went to see California for myself. Mm-hmm. And then the very last page is him explaining the exact same thing that we were saying. It's about how he missed the rivers and the mountains of his childhood. He missed his old friends when he moved to California. But then when he's in California, he likes to go visit home. And it's just he keeps going back and forth. And he's exactly like his grandfather. And he explains it perfectly at the end, which the very last line is, I think i know my grandfather now i miss him very much oh that's a good capper on a book yeah yeah it's really hard to stick the landing on the end of a picture book particularly one it's funny this book is always put in the picture book section it's never put in the nonfiction section oh um and i wonder why that is because it seems to be entirely accurate yeah but i feel like this came out at a time when uh well to put not to put too fine a point on it children's nonfiction was crap and so to give it more attention, they would have marketed it more as a picture book, which did very well by it because Caldegat and all that. Yeah, not that a nonfiction book can't get a Caldegat. They just don't as often. Uh, so this book came in at number 46 on the top 100 picture books poll of Seriously? 2012. Well, he had had a memoir out that year. So I'm thinking he was on a lot of people's minds and maybe that's what made them remember the book. But yeah, no, 46, quite high. Yeah. Um, as we mentioned, it won the Caldecott Medal in 1994. Uh, and there were a lot of honors, some of which we know, some of which we don't. The ones that... Um, we haven't done were Pepe the Lamplighter, In the Small Small Pond, Raven, a trickster tale from the Pacific Northwest, Owen, and Yo Yes. Oh. This book beat Yo Yes for Caldecott, which I think that's the right choice. I, I, agree. I actually I actually yeah. agree with that one. Yeah. Yeah. No, I don't I can't see one anyone uh but this is a this is an interesting list because I'm looking at them like, ooh, at least one of these I would very much like to do with you. So hmm. Okay. Grown up things we like. I'm sorry, no, wait, what? No, ratings time. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm completely thrown off. And now you have to rate it first. Oh, okay. So it's beautifully illustrated. It's honest in its intentions. It does what it sets out to do. If the point of the book is this is my family history. I'm going to replicate it as beautifully and as accurately and as realistically because it's a realistic style of illustration, very, very much. 
um, as I can. It is all about straddling two worlds and, and the fact, you know, there's a great um, YA graphic novel called Halfway Home about a, a girl who's Japanese-American who's like, I'm always halfway home. If I'm in America, I'm halfway home to Japan. If I'm in Japan, I'm halfway home to America. She never feels that she she's in really belongs to one place or the other. And, and this book sort of replicates that same sort of feeling. Um, as beautiful as it is, it, it is a little, I'm not going to say cold, but it's not overly emotional, I'd say. It's very straightforward in what it does, which is to the credit of the committee that they, they saw that and they were still gung-ho on giving it the, the major award. For me, I think it does serve a very important place because... Remember, the last time we did a book about a person's family history, it was, they were strong and good. So this is sort of a palate cleanser to that one. Yeah. Um, Always, you know, yes, it said red man and it said yellow man. Yeah. But that's a hell of a lot better than the actual awfulness of that previous book. So um, with that in mind, I'm I'm not overly crazy about it, but I like it. So I'm going to give it like a 5.75. I said that it's a nice book of his grandfather's life, but if I'm honest, it's not very interesting. Yeah, you're not. It's not a reread book so much. Nope. No. Uh, the illustrations are gorgeous, okay. and, I, and I can definitely see why it won a gold. It's just not much of a story. It didn't. It didn't get your heart, did it? Man yeah. goes back and forth between Japan and U.S. Has a kid who has her own kid. Mm-hmm. Grandfather dies. Mm-hmm. Grandchild travels like the grandfather did. Right. The end. Right. So I gave it a four. It's nice, but so's bread. <laughs> <laughs> nice, but so's bread. Raves. <laughs> Kate Atienza. Uh, yeah, so. So with our scores combined, it is a 4.8. So it's just under a five, which means it is not a it classic. Is barely not a classic. Yeah. I don't know if we've had anything yeah. quite as close <laughs> <laughs> to the middle as this without actually being the middle. That is, I mean, we've had some straight up fives. We've had some straight up fives, but this, this, yeah, is just barely not. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Sorry, Alan, sorry. That's all right. Letters time. Ooh. All right, so our first letter comes from Gerald, who was talking about Black Misery. Oh. And he said, uh, you both nailed what a floor walker was. Exactly that. The person in a department store who walks around the floor. Huh. Not a salesperson. Someone somewhere between a concierge and department manager, most famously portrayed by Frank Nelson on the Jack Benny show. Then he provided a YouTube link, which I will put in the show notes because (laughs) why not, baby? Jack (laughs) Benny's show links are fantastic. Dated, but in context of the book, not much unlike security guards today giving black kids a hard time for being in public spaces. Mm. Yes, indeed. Happy anniversary. Thanks for the great episode. Aw. Yes. Now we we got so many people excited about the amazing bone i cannot tell you we i had more hits more links more comments on this particular episode than we've had in a very long time apparently america is amazing bone crazy (laughs) and they were just waiting for this moment i told you the muppets need to redo it now because it's still baffled that muppets is your (laughs) go-to that's that's still weird to me so bruce wrote in he said William Steig was huge in our house in the 1970s and in the 1990s when we discovered new slash old Steigs like Amos and Boris and Brave Irene. In addition to Steig's unflinching use of vocabulary, someone should do a study of the mores and habits and customs documented in Steig's work, Testaments to Chasing, Changing Times. 
We were also huge Dominic fans, one of the early One School, One Book books that has since fallen out of favor too. Um, Kate wrote with a C, Oh my God, my three-year-old recently found this one at my parents' house and had <laughs> me read it to her again and again. You are very dear to me, said the bone. Lives rent-free in my brain. <laughs> so thank you, everybody. Grown-up things we like. Okay, mine is a little, little more for those who are over the age of 21. Okay. All right. So I was watching a Try Guys video, um, and they were rating the best hard seltzers. And their number one pick was one that I had never heard of. Everyone's heard of Truly or Vizzy or White Claw or whatever. White Claw, I've heard of. Yeah, this is called Press, and it's the only female-owned hard seltzer among the top ten brands. It's got a real. It's it's the the flavors are very interesting. You've got pineapple basil and mm-hmm. blackberry hibiscus. I mean, most of the flavors are like that you see out there are black cherry and mango. These are yeah. actually trying to do something different. And she said that the the owner of it, Amy, she said that she had three no compromise goals. First, the seltzer had to be delicious. Second, the flavor profiles had to be sophisticated. And finally, for fans committed to responsible sipping, it had to be a low ABV. So yeah, if you want to try something different, but you know, it's really good and refreshing, I recommend trying Press. Okay. Yeah. Uh, a hard seltzer recommendation. Yeah. Something different. It's very different. Very good. Mine's not very different. It's going back to podcast, baby. All right. Yes. Well, you know, I've mentioned the 99% Invisible podcast before. This is hosted by Roman Mars. Uh, I believe your husband sort of introduced me to that one mm-hmm. way back in the day because they had done an episode on Ann Carol Moore. They hadn't talked to me. <laughs> um, not that I'm bitter or anything. I'm, I'm not. But I I didn't really start listening to them until Roman Mars uh, cameoed on John Green's podcast with his brother Hank and uh, and was very good. So I started listening and I really got into it. You know, it's sort of talking about everyday design in the world. And recently they did an episode that I was very, very fond of. And it was on octagon houses. Now, we live near Chicago where I swear there are apartments everywhere that are octagon shaped. And I'm always baffled by this. I'll see them and I'm like, I thought maybe this episode would clear things up. No way. No mention of the octagon apartments, but the octagon houses. Yes, this was apparently a huge fad uh, started by a phrenologist, you know, a guy who studied the bumps on your head and told you what your personality was. Oh, that's useful. Um, He was also a vegetarian uh, and in in a time when that was seen as freaky deaky. And he thought that octagon houses were would solve everything. Um, the light and the air that could circulate through them would, would, would cure all sorts of ills. They're very hard to find. So in the course of this episode, and it's really remarkable work, they find several octagon houses that are still standing, but have been sort of taken over and and redesigned different looks. And then they hit gold. They happen to stumble upon an octagon house owned by two gay men who most certainly not only know the history of the house, have retained the house in the original image, but they have read the book of the guy who invented the octagon house <laughs> and know his philosophy. And then come the ghosts. And there's a whole section about ghosts. It is a great episode, so you have a chance. Check out 99% Invisible. Find the episode on the octagon house. Give it a listen. It is 
great. I love how we started this episode talking about Halloween and we're ending talking about ghosts. It's true. And the ghost is like one of my favorite parts of the episode. It was just such a delight. Apparently, octagon houses get haunted on a very regular basis. Oh, and they can stand up to hurricanes because the wind hits them and it kind oh, of goes around the, them. Yeah. I was like, I don't think the ghosts can, Betsy. I think no, they're... ghosts also can stand up to hurricanes. <laughs> Why have we not looked into this before? No, I don't know what it would be. Yeah, no. Interesting. So there you go. All right, so we've had a serious book. Yes. Uh, I think next week I'll have to do like a downright redunculous book, maybe. I don't oh. know. We'll see. We'll see. Or I'll do I'll do something fun. Uh, some some someone someone we've done before, but we haven't done in quite some time. How about that? Okay, well, and if anyone has any recommendations of books yes. that they want to hear, email us at fusekdate at gmail.com. All right. And until people do, I've been Betsy. I'm Kate. Bye. Fusing Kate is a Fuse Number 8 production. You can reach us at fusekate8 at gmail.com. You can follow our podcast on Twitter at fuse underscore Kate. You can follow us on Instagram at fuse8kate. That's fuse number 8 Kate. Listen to us on Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, or Player FM, or follow us on iTunes and rate our podcast if you're so inclined. Our music is by Haddon Kime, and our pre-care and aftercare is Drew Atienza. Fuse 8 and Kate is a creation of Kate Atienza and Betsy Bird.